Welcome everyone, I'm Dr. Carmen Pugliafito and I'm happy to welcome today to Retina Synthesis, Dr. Michael Singer, who is Clinical Professor of Ophthalmology at the University of Texas Health Science Center in San Antonio. And um, Mike is a well-known clinical investigator in retinal pharmacotherapy. And we're here today to talk about the use of the fluocinolone implant in a phase four trial, the so-called Paladin trial. So can you tell us a little bit about, uh, about this, Michael? Well, Carmen, thank you so much for having me on. I'm excited to be here. The Paladin trial was a prospective three-year phase four study looking at the fluocinolone implant um, in patients with diabetic macular edema. And essentially what it was used to do was, was to evaluate the incidence of intraocular pressure lowering procedures in patients treated with the implant. Um, and that was the primary endpoint. In terms of secondary endpoints though, best corrected visual acuity before and after the implant was put in the eye, central subfield thickness changes over time, what was the treatment frequency before and after the implant, and other ocular events not related to um, intraocular pressure. So what were the results of the IOP study? So basically the IOP study enrolled 202 patients and essentially enrollment was between May of 2015 and it went for three years and assessments were done day one, day seven, May, month two, three, and then every three months until three years. And in addition, there was an amendment so people could get the prospective data retrospectively looking at what happened before the implant was put in the eye. And essentially there were 202 eyes of which entered the study 94 completed, um, but the interesting thing is some, about 30, 35 people had both eyes enrolled and once one eye hit the primary endpoint, the other eye was discontinued. So the interesting thing is a third of the discontinued was because of the fact that the one eye made it in terms of adverse events, there was only two eyes that were discontinued for that, but people obviously were lost to follow up. Then you know, when we look at the, I'm gonna go, before I give you the real answers, I'm gonna give you some basic data on this population because it's important to understand this was a different set of population than the previous prospective study that was the FAME trial that got approved for the approval of the medication. All these patients had a steroid challenge and essentially about, um, you know, essentially about 15% of patients were, were phakic versus a vast majority that were phakic in uh, the FAME trial. And these patients, a third of them were well-treated with vision of 20, 40 or better, or a CST grade under, you know, under 300 microns. And in terms of understanding the primary endpoint, you know, although the primary endpoint was the incidence of intraocular pressure procedures, the vision is what we all wanted to know. And it was interesting when we looked at these patients prior to being treated with the implant, they, over a three-year period, they ended up losing about 6.4 letters. And at a treatment frequency, the vast majority had three to five treatments a year. And in terms of breaking it down, um, basically 75% had three or more treatments and about a third of patients had zero to two. What was interesting is after you got the implant, the average was not only a loss of vision, but a gain of 4.5 letters with about 68% of people having two treatments or less, and that was the median number of treatments given. So we were able to get better letters with less treatment. Um, and then how, you know, how long did the treatment last? Well, essentially the median time for treatment, um, you know, supplemental treatment was about 190 days. And essentially 25% of people were able to go three years without treatment. So it's really nice to know. And if you broke it down over time, 
it was interesting that essentially it was about two treatments a year averaging over the entire process. So people basically had two treatments and usually they were mostly anti-VEGF rescues if they needed it. So it really showed the durability of this process where before they treated with the implant, they needed 3.7 shots a year. Um, in terms of CST, we had really good lowering of CST, which was significant at every single time point over the 36 months. And essentially, when we looked at area under the curve, the area under the curve in terms of um, microns was 336 microns over all the patients, which was significantly lower than it was before the implant, which was 371. So not only was it able to dry the retina, it was able to dry the retina for a longer period of time running forward. Um, and then essentially, when we looked at intraocular pressure, the reality was the mean IOPs remained stable. You didn't have a significant change um, in terms of pressure. When it was significant, it was about two millimeters of mercury. So it stayed stable over time. And then when we looked at the fact that what were the big things that we lose sleep over, you had about 25% of people at IOP over 25, about 11% IOP over 30, and trabeculoplasty was performed. 2% of the time or four patients and IOP surgery was only th was 3% of which 50% of those wasn't secondary to steroid induced intraocular pressure, but due to the fact that they developed neovascular glaucoma and 20% had IOP lowering medication. And this was about 50% less than the FAME trial. So understanding that the steroid challenge really worked very well. So, I mean, it really showed some really good data that if you treat these people with steroids, your chance of getting IOP-related complications is significantly reduced, as well as the fact that we're able to decrease the treatment burden in this hard-to-treat group of population. What was the defined uh, steroid challenge? The defined steroid challenge depended on um, some of them were given topical steroids, some of them were given Osrodex, some of them were given triamcinolone. So it really was up to the investigator what they wanted to use. And so what were the inclusion criteria based on the steroid challenge test? The steroid challenge test where they couldn't have a significant rise in IOP after their steroid challenge. And that was, you know, that is typically on label how the investigator describe, decides if it's an increase that's clinically significant to the investigator. So all these people were enrolled when they felt like they didn't have a significant increase, but it wasn't spelled out, which actually wasn't like a number you had to get to. So there's another trial coming up, uh, the, the FAME, what, what is it called? The New Day. New Day. What, tell us about the New Day trial. So the New Day trial, so, you know, we said with the Paladin trial, we saw some, you know, obviously we saw a reversal. You I mean, essentially you were losing six letters and now you're gaining four. And this was a really well-treated group of patients. So again, because remember a third of them had vision 2040 or better and OCTs less than 300. So they had gone through a lot of anti-VEGF therapy. The question is, is the potential of getting really good vision better if you start with treatment naive patients? Because even the FAME trial had previously treated patients. So if you're able to start with treatment naive and compare it to a flibercep, what's the chance of you getting much better letters and how much rescue would you really need? And essentially the FAME trial basically showed us what, what can happen when to get the drug approved, but the New Day trial is gonna basically look at around 360 patients and what it's gonna show, it's gonna compare head-to-head day flibercep and the number of rescue injections is gonna be the primary endpoint. It's gonna be an 18 month trial, it's already enrolling and it's basically one-to-one -one 
um, um, fluvacinol and implantate fluvacinol. So again, that trial will definitely have value because you know steroid studies have been hampered because nobody wants to use steroid first line. So again, it'll be great to see what happens when you really give steroids a first line shot. Are they able to give you as much visual improvement as you get with anti-VEGFs? And are you able to get the treatment burden decreased enough so it really is palatable in this group of patients? Well, the uh, Paladin trial was impressive because really you decreased treatment burden and improve vision. Yeah, I mean, I really, I mean, it really was. I was really impressed looking at the data. I mean, there are going to be a lot of more subset analysis coming down, understanding that you know the patient looking at things like retinal thickness amplitude and looking at different IOP measurements. But I mean, the top line data really kind of makes us stop and think because I spend a lot of time, as you know, giving CME events and I talk about treatment burden. And we all know that real life trials, I call real life is messy because of the fact that, you know, clinical trials giving monthly injections, you get the best vision, you know, and then as you give you both PRN or treat and extend, as you do that, you lose a little bit, but still relatively acceptable. But when you look at real life chart analyses, the vision goes down almost proportionally to the number of shots you give. I mean, Tom Chula has done some great work at showing this in AMD and DME. This it really reverses your thought. This I'm able to give, get better vision with less shots. So again, I think there's a real value for this in the DME population. And there was always the threat of chronic glaucoma. This is the right. big threat, but it doesn't seem to be the case. No, I think it doesn't seem to be the case. And one of the interesting things, of the, although you know, we're talking about the alluvian or flucinolone implant. I think, I think in general, we're getting better at recognizing this. And I think what's really undervalued is the value of SLT in terms of lowering the pressure because people who've had SLT, there were studies done a long time ago that really looked at triamcinolone and it's this group out of Europe and they treated half the people with SLT and half the people without, and then they gave them triamcinolone and literally none of the people with the pretreatment of SLT got IOP spikes. So I think SLT definitely has a place in this process. I know retina surgeons are obviously, it's not typically in their wheelhouse and they want to send it to their glaucoma specialist, but I think it's something to be looked at. And given the fact that, you know, you know, most of these IOPs, there's this whole thing called positive predictive value. What's the chance of you getting IOP rises? And this is a long calculation, but what it comes down to, the numbers are pretty impressive because when it's all said and done, when you look at what's called the positive predictive value of getting an IOP, if you didn't have an IOP before the implant, you got about an 80% chance of not getting an IOP over 75, I mean, over 25. So again, you're right, we're, you know, we're getting better. We're getting better, we're understanding what's going on. And again, I think one of the problems is that, do, that retina specialists are so afraid of IOP elevations that they're not availing themselves of potential therapies that'll make both their lives and their patient lives better. Yeah, that's a that's a very good point. What was the the percent of patients that needed to use topical glaucoma medications? So the patient, the percentage of patients that needed to use topical glaucoma medicines were twenty percent. Again, typically one or two agents. Uh, yeah, typically one or two agents. Very few people on three or more agents. And the interesting thing was I told you about this content. What's called positive predictive value. The, not only when you use the drops, the interesting thing was they looked at the chance of you having IOP of 25 or a greater at the end of the trial. It essentially said it was under 4%. So 3.1% of people had an IOP of 25 at the end of the trial. So to your point, using topical agents, 
the vast majority of patients were controlled with those drops and had normal IOP. And we've shown, on, you know, based on clinical work that I've done in the past, looking at other steroid implants, when you control the IOP, over time, if you compare it to the other eye, the retina and nerve fiber layer doesn't seem to be more affected in the eye that had an IOP spike secondary to steroids. So this is an evolving use of the fluocinolone implant. How do you think right now, in the absence of that head-to-head -head comparison with aflibercept, where does alluvium fit into the treatment paradigm these days? I think that basically, you know, it goes through people who go through the dexamethasone implant, you know, they do it a couple of times and they realize, look, this is a, this burden, you keep going up and down and up and down. I think that's, an, you know, in my practice, it's about two or three. And then I'm going to say, look, um, I'm, at that point, my patients are complaining. How come I'm getting so many shots? How come I'm coming in so often? That's where I put the flucinolone implant. I do believe that the more knowledge as I gain understanding this, it's definitely much earlier in my treatment paradigm. My treatment paradigm for anti-VEGF therapy based on the early trial has gone down. You know, now I'm three shots or less before I switch. I'm really big at looking at people at two weeks and trying to figure out based on OCT, if the OCT, let's say I'm using bevacizumab, and the OCT shows, hey, look, it's 80% dry. I got the right VEGF mediated. I got the wrong anti-VEGF. Go to a branded agent. But if I'm on a branded agent and I'm less than 50%, I'm going to put a steroid in because I think the two weeks is at the best you're going to get. And I really don't believe, based on the early trial, that people are going to change if they've gone um, three shots or more. So again, I've moved everything shifted you know, to the left, for lack of a better word to basically be much more critical of my therapies, having treated you know, thousands of diabetic patients. So that makes the flucinolone implant much earlier in my treatment paradigm, which hopefully will give me better vision because these retinas are not so, not so chronic and the photoreceptors are still alive. Uh, lens status, do you prefer this in pseudophagic patients? Yes, I do. I mean, but I, I mean, my feeling about that is for all steroids, right? I don't think it's any more that it's gonna be, I mean, typically when I, we give a flucinolone implant, it's a phakic patient, I'm assuming that at 18 months, I'll be taking the cataract out. And again, I have this discussion with my patients, with my younger patients, and they make a decision. I've used it in patients who have been tired of having their blood sugar go up and down and up and down, understanding that they're gonna be pseudophakic. But I will tell you, you know, given the advances in cataract surgery, you know, cataract surgery is the only advantage of getting older. I mean, wisdom, I kind of think is a little overrated, but the cataract surgery, you can be out of glasses your whole life. You spend them in, you can be out of glasses and, and you know, multifocal lenses are a good option. Understanding that, yes, you may lose a little accommodation, but again, for this patient population who watch their vision yo-yo all the time and stop doing activities of daily living, I think it's really a good deal. I mean, I do believe that, you know, it's something we discuss. And I say it's inevitability, but you know these patients are going to end up with cataract surgery earlier anyway, just do the underlying diabetes. Well, Michael, this has been a great discussion, I think, about a very exciting and evolving field. Uh, you know, the alluvian implant has certainly gone through uh, a shifting position in the treatment paradigm. Would wouldn't you say that? Absolutely. I think, you know, essentially, you know, there were thoughts. We didn't really understand it when it came out. Now we're getting a better understanding that some patients do incredibly well. And these patients really, it's changed their life. I do think understanding treating beforehand and looking at the fact that if you can do the steroid challenge and the steroid challenge does not raise the pressure, you can feel much more comfortable 
with the fact that it's unlikely to give you, um, you know, glaucoma surgery for sure, or uncontrolled ocular hypertension with good medications. So again, and that, you know, that's what really stopped everybody from using it. It's not that you know, people don't believe in steroids. They just, they're all scared about IOP. I mean, many years ago, I stood in front of subspecialty day and I asked everybody to raise their hands. What keeps you up at night? Is it the cataract or the IOP? And everybody said IOP. But once we, the more that's demystified, I think the more it becomes a real value because that's what everyone else is trying to do, right? Everyone's trying to get sustained release medications that do it over time. The implants are already there. Yeah. Well, good. Michael, thanks so much for your, your time. Carmen, always thanks so much for having me. This is a great opportunity.